Would you join with me in prayer? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to open up your word together. We just pray that you fill us with your Holy Spirit. Open our hearts even as we open up your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about Christianisms, Christian phrases, Christian words that church people use a lot of times that other people may not be all that familiar with. Then again, Christians may not always be that familiar with, or at least have really thought through the implications of the other phrases that we're using. So we, we talked about parentness and how it's different than parenting. We talked about uh, rebabifying. We talked about be stilling. Last week we talked about good doing, right? And the fact that we should be doing good works, right? We should be doing what God sculpted us to do. We just don't do them to earn anything from God. We do them because we've already been given so much from God. Though we did talk about that there are repercussions if you don't do the works of God, if there is no fruit in your life from that. There's a cost to that. You've been bought back from death. You've been handed life. So Paul says in Colossians, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your dead earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. That's all idolatry. It's idolatry to give into that stuff because you're making a temple to your flesh here, to your belly, to your wallet, to your libido. You're making this your God instead of God your God. All of us do that at one point or another, and it's always a mistake. And because of these things, Paul says, the wrath of God is coming. And I know, I know, popular theology says, oh, there is no wrath of God. But there is in the Bible. And since that's what I'm preaching from, occasionally I have to mention it. He's not happy with that. It's not what he designed this for, and it's toxic. And it means we're worshiping something other than him. It's not cool. I'm reminded of what God said to Nineveh back in the Old Testament. Nineveh had been oppressing God's people. And in Nahum 1.14, Yahweh has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the carved images and cast idols, all those man-made idolatrous things that are in the temples of your gods. I will prepare your grave for you are vile. We don't usually preach those things because they sound all fire and brimstone and we don't want to offend people. But it's actually in the Bible. I don't know if you've noticed. And God created the Ninevites. In fact, he had a whole argument with Jonah about the fact that he still cared about the Ninevites, right? God loved them. He sculpted them. He cared about them. He wanted them saved. And yet he's like, y'all vile in my eyes because of what you've done. You've made abominations here and worshipped them. You've said, this isn't what God intended, and worshipped that. And you've burned every bridge that you could to worship that. You're vile in my eyes. So he says, look, there on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news. How on earth is this perky? This is expressed as perky. How is this perky? He just said, I'm going to wipe out Nineveh and all your descendants. Hey, look, on the mountains, on the horizon, you see him? Somebody's bringing the good news. Yay! I can see their feet from here. Well, the verse continues. 
who brings good news, who proclaims peace. So celebrate your festivals, O Judah. Fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They're going to be completely destroyed once God comes and makes things right. And that is good news, right? Isn't that good news? The tricky thing about any good news is that statistically, what is good news for one group often sounds like bad news to another group. If I say, everybody on this side of the building gets a cookie, y'all go, yay! And this side of the room, who are not even thinking about cookies, goes, well, my day's ruined. (laughs) Why? I didn't get a cookie. You weren't getting a cookie anyway. I know. What's wrong with that? How come they get cookies? What's good news to one group often immediately sounds like bad news to another group. The trick is to be on the right side of a relationship with God, right? To be actually walking with God. And thus we're back to good doing. Not to earn God's favor, but so that you go, wait, I want to be doing this right. I can't help but think of David in in Psalm 139 when he sings, if only you would slay the wicked, O God, they're so mean. Before he gets to the end of that psalm, he's like, search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. If there's any, you know, offensive way in me, make that go away and lead me in the way everlasting. Slay the wicked, oh God. But first, help me to make sure that I'm not wicked before you slay the wicked. And not just being self-serving. He's like, what am I doing? Before I just immediately say, every every bad person, I kind of need to look in the mirror and go, wait, am I doing this wrong? I'm so easy, it's so easy to look and see what everybody else is doing wrong. Am I doing this wrong? We want to be walking with God. And if I'm doing that, if I'm walking with God, and if I'm doing it right, it is good news when God says, I'm coming in a cleaning house. It becomes good news. It's an interesting word in Hebrew. Basar, good news. It's the same word that's used in Nahum, but also in Isaiah, the more familiar feet on the mountains passage. Isaiah says in Isaiah 52, O Jerusalem, the uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again, which is what Nahum's talking about. Free yourselves from the chains on your neck, O captive, daughter of Zion. You've been dragged off into captivity. You've been enslaved by vile people. And let's be honest, by your own sinfulness. The stuff that you have done is what brought you to this in the first place. All that icky stuff. God says, I'm coming to set the captives free. For this is what Yahweh says. And yes, I've got to use his name there because it's the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. But also, you'll see in a minute why actually saying his name is important. For this is what Yahweh says. You were sold for nothing. They just took you for no good reason. They didn't even buy you. They just stole you. And without money, you're going to be bought back. You're going to be redeemed. Which is an interesting concept. Interesting way of phrasing that. They just took you. And I will buy you back, but not with money. So what what would he buy him back with? He just left that dangle. For this is what sovereign Yahweh says. At first, my people went down to Egypt to live. Lately, Assyria has been oppressing them. All day long, my name is constantly blasphemed by these vile people. Therefore, my people will know my name. Therefore, on that day, when I come back, on that day, when I redeem my people, on that day, they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, 
It's I. This is a prophecy. It's a, it's a promise of future history. This isn't a, man, I hope so. No, when I say I'm coming, I'm coming. And when it's remembered that I said this would happen, everything I'm about to tell you in Isaiah, all these things that I'm saying are going to happen, when it happens, I want everybody to know that it's God, this God, Yahweh, your God, who brought this about, who saved his people. So how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. We know that verse. We heard that verse earlier. How beautiful on the mountains are those are the feet of those who bring good news. Bossar. The good news of a victory over evil. In fact, you know, the messenger of that good news, they're coming over the mountain right now. You can see them on the horizon. They're on their way. How awesome is that? How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring bossar, who proclaim peace, who bring a bossar of happiness. In fact, a lot of your translations will change that. They'll talk about good news and then good tidings because they don't want to sound redundant. It's the same word. It's the same word in Hebrew, which is why I'm telling you this. It's good news. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring a good news of happiness. Good news, good news. Let me repeat that. Good news, good news, good news. You surrounded by bad news? Yeah, well, good news is on the horizon. Does the world look ucky? Yes, good news is on the mountains, coming over the mountains. You can see them on the horizon. Does bad news predominate? Yep. But good news, good news is coming. Once this section was translated into Greek, they had to pick a Greek word. So they picked the Greek word, euangelizo, to evangelize, which is where we get evangelism. And the English way of saying that is to bring a good message, a good spell, a gospel. So how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring the gospel a gospel of happiness, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns to a people oppressed, to a people lost in a dark and broken and toxic world. Is there, is there any better news than God is coming and he will fix it? God is coming and he will save you. God is coming and he'll, he'll buy you back. In fact, as long as I'm sharing all the Hebrew, I'll do one more Hebrew word. Should I do one more Hebrew? I'll do one more Hebrew word. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring bossar, the gospel, and the, those who proclaim peace, who bring up bossar, a gospel of happiness, who proclaim salvation. The Hebrew word there is Yeshua. Not the only way of saying salvation in Hebrew. This is the one that God says, I want you to remember my name when my Yeshua comes. Of course, by then, even by the time in Isaiah, that had already been used as a proper name, right? Joshua had his own, his own book in the Bible. Everybody knows the name Joshua. It's a good name. Mary and Joseph picked it for their kid, right? They were told to. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring the gospel, who proclaim peace, who bring a gospel of happiness, who proclaim Jesus who say to Zion, your God reigns. I'm telling you this as a promise of future history so that everybody will remember that it was your God who saved you, who redeemed you with something better than money.
you understand why Nahum would be excited about this? Why Isaiah would be excited about the messenger's feet being on the horizon, being on the mountains and saying, this is so cool. Why Isaiah would say that their feet, normally the yuckiest, filthiest, ickiest part of the human body. You remember that from scripture, right? The ugliest, dirtiest, foulest part of the human body is the feet. Why? Because that's the part that's on the road, right? You're not wearing galoshes. And the road is yucky. You're stepping in filth all the time, which is why the lowest job of the lowest servant is to wash your feet. Somehow Isaiah says, yeah, they're beautiful. Do they somehow become not yucky? They don't have filth from the road on them. They don't smell. They haven't been in sandals all day. No, they still are. But they are beautiful. Because when I look at the ugliest part of the messengers of this good news, I say even their ugliest part is beautiful. Because we've been waiting for so long, all of us in captivity here, all of us oppressed and lost in a dark and broken and toxic place, all of us waiting for so long. I mean, I can't, think about Paul talking in Romans. He said the, the, the creation waits in eager expectation. The whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, waiting for this present moment. And finally, we get to hear what it's been waiting for. For all this time, everything, the rocks, the trees, the frogs, the people have been waiting for this moment. And finally, we see the messengers of that gospel, that good news that we've been waiting for. They're on the horizon. They're on the horizon. Do you see why that's exciting? How beautiful in my eyes are that filthy, gross, dirty, muck-covered, beautiful feet of those who would bring the gospel, who proclaim God's peace, who bring in a gospel of happiness, who proclaim Jesus, who say to Zion, your God reigns. I don't care what else is going on. I don't care if Assyria is at the door. We're on the horizon. Amen? Next time you sing, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Don't ever sing it that way ever again in your life, please. This is what you're singing about. Even the yuckiest parts of them are beautiful. Is it any wonder that this is what Paul cited when he's trying to make an argument, because Romans is one big argument, right? Not a throw-your-crayons argument, but a logical succession of premises. And Anyway, point is, when he's making his argument about the importance of the gospel, he says in Romans 10, 15, as it's written back in Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And now you know right now the context of that in the Old Testament. Nahum and Isaiah saying, oh, there's evil in this world, and God finds it vile. It's, it's going to be a bad thing to fall on the wrong side of God. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Don't do that. But, but, God will clear that out. And the, and the messengers are on the hill. They're coming over the horizon. This is going to be awesome. That's the Old Testament context for what Paul is saying. But the New Testament context, and feel free to go to Romans 10 if you want to, but within Romans, Paul straight up tells us how somebody can be saved. If anybody ever says, okay, how do you become a Christian? Don't ever say, go to church. Don't ever say, well, you've got to pray and read your Bible. Those are great. 
If you never go to church, never pray, never read your Bible, you're a fruit tree with no tree fruit or leaves, which in gardening terms we refer to as a stick, right? (laughs) It is not a fruit tree. If your tree has never budded and is sticking in your yard with no fruit and no leaves, it's dead. It may not have ever even been a fruit tree. But if anybody ever asks you, how were you saved? You can go straight to Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. He's my sovereign. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. If you genuinely believe, if you genuinely believe that Christ can save, he's more than just a good guy. He's more than just a carpenter that died. Because Peter preached in Acts chapter 4, salvation is found in no one else, right? For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which men must be saved, right? One, One way, believe in one guy. For it's with your heart, Paul says, that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. That's, that's, how, that's simple. Actually believe this stuff. Jesus is God in the flesh, the Lord of your life. He died for your sins and rose again. Actually believe that and be willing to step out in that by opening your mouth, saying that. It's simple. Isn't it simple? I'm not saying it's easy. It's simple, though, isn't it? It's not necessarily easy. Jesus is in charge of my life. And I will do what he sculpted me to do. That is simple. It's not easy. It's not easy to live out. And if you're honest, it's not easy to say. But call on Jesus. Accept his sacrifice. Believe that he really died and then undied. Accept him as Lord of your life. Live the way he sculpted you to live. Do that. Bear fruit. Be a fruit tree. Aloha. Fruit tree doesn't even have to work hard to bear fruit. It just does it. It attaches itself to nutrients and it makes fruit. Naturally. You actually have to work hard for a fruit tree not to bear fruit, wouldn't you? Yeah, I ripped it up and disconnected it from all of its nutrients. It's never been to church. Never prays. Never gets any water. Never gets anything but laying in the street with all the muck and gunk. Because that's what the tree wanted. That's going to be a dead tree. How can God be so cruel? Plant the thing. Plant it by the water. Plant it in good soil. Plant the thing. And it'll just naturally be a fruit tree. Paul says, as the scripture in Isaiah says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. You don't have any shame if you're just a fruit tree being a fruit tree. And is there any better news that you can share? And this is to everybody. Because he says there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles, between tall people and short people, black people, white people. There's no difference because you're demographic. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. By the way, isn't this what we talked about with a completely different verse last week? It's all throughout your scripture. How many times does God have to say something in the Bible before it's true? And it's all throughout your Bible. And not just in the New Testament where God suddenly got nice. No! It's all throughout the whole Bible where God is being genuinely good, genuinely caring, genuinely consistent, and genuinely reaching out to everybody. Everybody. 
For as Joel tells us, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Who, who will be? Everyone born on the, the right side of a particular demographic blanket? Everyone who gets their life right enough that God will let them into their heaven. In fact, God would have to let them into their heaven, his heaven because he's a nice guy, right? Who, who can be saved? Everyone, period. Everyone who calls on God's name. Peter says, God's not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Please come to repentance. Everyone. That's good news, isn't it? All you got to do is do that. Just do that. Earlier this week, I was explaining the gospel to someone, and I said, think of it this way. It's, it's, like, it's like the whole earth is covered in this horrible snowstorm, and you're lost and out in the snow, and you're freezing to death, and suddenly you come on this cabin that's warm and safe. God loves you. God loves all of us so much that he was willing to die, to unlock those doors, whip them open, and invite you in and say, everybody is welcome to come in to be warm and safe and welcome. All you have to do is be willing to accept that free gift and walk in the door. Let him be your host. And it's not that he's nice. It's that he's good. Because nice is uh, what? being in a decent mood, being a pleasant enough person. It's an emotional thing. Good is a quality of your character. If God were nice, well, maybe even said it. If God were nice, then he'd he'd save all the people he felt like saving. And since he's nice, you're hoping you're one of them. And if he's in a bad mood someday, maybe he's not going to be quite so nice. Because your niceness, ever notice this, even with nice people? How many people know nice people? Have you ever noticed that even with nice people, their niceness shifts with how rotten their day is? But their character doesn't. I'm glad that God isn't nice. I'm glad that God is good. And all the time, God is good. God is good enough to be willing to die to open those doors. But he's not nice enough to make sure that even if you say, no, I'm not coming inside. No, I'm staying outside. No, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want you as my host. No, I don't see you as somebody important in my life. I'm just going to stand out here in the snow. He's not so nice that you won't still die from hypothermia. If God opens the door, says it's warm, it's dry, it's safe in here, I made you food, please come inside, and you go, no, 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 I'm going to stay in the snow, you'll die. I thought God was preparing a house for me where I'm warm and safe. Yes, you bonehead, you just didn't go into it. I'm sorry, that's implied in the Greek. It is exclusivist. And anybody that tells you that Christianity is an exclusivist is selling something. It is exclusive to only those people who walk through that threshold. By the way, anybody can walk through that threshold. It costs absolutely nothing and God has a big sign over the thing that says, everybody can come in, it's free, please come in. Serious. Seriously, free, 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 free. Seriously. So what's the problem? Paul says, logically, how can anybody call on this one that they have not believed in? 
How can they believe in him? They've not heard about him. How can they hear without someone preaching to them? I mean, even if they have all that, they can still go, nah. But how can the world even do this very simple, very free thing and be saved? How can a world that's lost in the storm find the cabin, come inside, be warm, be safe, be welcome, if we never bring them the good news? If there is no good news on the horizon, how would they even make that choice? It's not our job as Christians to try to stop the blizzard, is it? It's not our job to drag people inside and force them to be safe. Not our job. It's our job to light road flares and to make signs and to shovel the walkways and the driveways and snowplow the highways. It's maybe even our job sometimes to trek out into the snow and find people where they're stuck and help them to come to the cabin. It's our job to remove any impediment that we can. That's our job, isn't it? Who makes the cabin? God. Who makes it warm? God. Who will someday stop the snowstorm? Well, that would be God. Who even, who even might nudge their hearts to draw them into the cabin? You go, oh, that would be God. Our job is just to go, cabin! That's our job. And yet, so much of the time, Christians are like, it's our job to stop this blizzard. No, it isn't. It's our job to drag them, kicking and screaming, into the cabin. Or at the very least, they should look like people who are standing in a cabin. That's our job. By the way, ironically, that often creates impediments that prevent people from wanting to come inside, which means you're doing exactly the opposite of your job. You know what we do struggle with? We struggle sometimes with shoveling the walkways. We struggle sometimes with removing our own impediments. We struggle sometimes with locking the doors to the cabin and somebody has to come on and go, no, 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 unlock those. We struggle sometimes with even wanting to go out into the blizzard to find people who are stuck out there because, you know, it's really warm in the cabin. God says, no, no, bundle up, put on the whole parka of God and go out into the snow and go find those people and bring them back because they could really use somebody going to where they're stuck. Or, 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 maybe I'll use a more modern example. Sometimes, because we don't want to offend people, we don't want to offend those lost in the snowstorm by suggesting that they might be lost in the snowstorm, we don't say anything. Because they're sick and tired of Christians telling them that they're lost in some kind of snowstorm. Everybody loses a finger now and then to frostbite. It's just the way the world is. It's, it's warm in here. Fine. Your special place is warm. You can come here. Yeah, but I have to be you. No. You get to be with God. But that's the only way. Yeah, big stinking door that's wide open and unlocked and there's road flares. Wait. I'm being offensive. Beloved, let's go sit where it's warm and dry and quietly pray for all those people that we're watching freeze to death. Because we're way too nice to offend them by suggesting that they might be freezing. 
how can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one that, whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? What they need is some pretty feet. They need your feet. Your feet. Your feet. My feet. Our feet. And again, let me, let me remind you, when I call your feet pretty, they aren't. Your feet are not more inherently any kind of pretty than anybody else's feet. They are just as naturally dirty and smelly and covered in muck as their feet are. Don't ever sit there and go, yeah, Christians have inherently prettier feet. <laughs> Don't do that. It's just that, A, your feet are pretty because they're coming with a message that the world so desperately wants to hear. And B, your feet have been washed clean by something so much more powerful than the stuff of this place. So much better than money. Because it's not about Christians being inherently prettier, that our lives are inherently more pious or good. They should be. They really should be. You should be bearing fruit, right? You really should. I'm not going to say any more about that. Go listen to last week's sermon. But it's about Christians being inherently washed and paid for. It's about Christians knowing where the cabin is. It's about Christians being... Hungry beggars telling other hungry beggars where to find food. Because Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 1, you know it wasn't with perishable things, with fluffery from this place, such as, oh, I don't know, silver, gold, you know, the worthless stuff that you've been redeemed. You've been bought back with... Because that's just just pavement, isn't it? You're going to walk on that in eternity, aren't you? Isn't that the whole point of it? And the streets are paved with gold. You go, they're that... They're that amazing? You know, gold is that pointless. The streets are paved with it. You've been bought back from your empty way of life, that worship of the stuff of this place, that worship of your belly, your wallet, your libido. You've been bought back from all that stuff with this precious blood of Christ. Because just as he promised, God brought us Yeshua. And we were redeemed. So Romans 10, 14, Paul says, how can they call on a Jesus that they've not believed in? How can they believe in a Jesus whose name they've not heard? How can they hear about Jesus without someone preaching to them? Preaching to them about the only name under heaven by which they might be saved. When I said that earlier, you all went, yep, you're right, that's the only way that anybody gets saved. Right, how can they do the only thing that can save them if we don't help them to see that? Yeah, but sometimes you really can't make them believe it. Never your job. Just help them to see Christ so they can make that decision. God's good message requires messengers. God's kingdom needs ambassadors. And how can they preach unless they're sent? Unless someone like me, every once in a while, tells people like you something like this. I'm sending you, I'm sending us to have pretty feet. Go pretty feeding into the world. Knock yourself out. Because as it's written in Isaiah 52, Paul says, how beautiful are even the feet of those who bring good news, who bring the gospel. And that's the context of that in the New Testament. In both of these, it's this is the gunk you're in. This is the empty way of life you had. This is the vileness. But that's not your home and it never was. It's not who you are. And those who get to tell you that, who have that privilege, are on the horizon. How beautiful. 
that this story has an ending, and it's a good ending. You got pretty ugly feet. You got ugly feet, but they're beautiful. You're ugly, but you're beautiful. Because you're carrying God's news to a people who are oppressed and lost in a dark and broken and toxic world. They're pretty because you're bringing good news. And the whole creation has been groaning up into the pains of childbirth up to this present time. So they can finally hear the good news you have. It's the only way that they can be saved. What an awesome privilege. It's terrifying, terrifying, terrifying that 95% of Christians have never shared the gospel once in their entire lives. Now let's draw on the positive. You have been given the gospel, the good news that the entire world has been waiting for since creation to hear the only way by which the people around you can be saved and it's been handed to you and all you have to do is go, look! That's it, that's it, that's it, that's your whole job, that's it, that's it. Live like you actually believe this. Not just to some people, not just to people whose feet already look the way you think feet should look, but to everybody. Even to the ugly feeted people because, by the way, your feet are ugly too, but they're beautiful. How beautiful are the ugly snowshoes of all those people who went out into the snow and found me and brought me back to life. How beautiful. You and I, we're supposed to be what Nahum and what Isaiah and Paul were talking about centuries ago. Not missionaries, not pastors, not all those professional people who have gone through training. Every Christian... We, you, all of us, we, us, we are the people that Isaiah was saying, how beautiful. And Paul says, put on the full parka of God with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Live like you actually have this fruit and with your pretty feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Be prepared, be available Peter says, always, always be prepared to be able to answer people's questions, to be able to share why your life is different, to be able to explain the good news. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you. Go thou. Go pretty feeding out into the world, all of you, all of you. Because out there's a blizzard. Hint, in here is a blizzard. Flurries, flurries. Go thou. Be the messengers of the good news that people go, wait, are they coming? Are they finally coming? Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for the opportunity. I thank you for the opportunity you give us even this week to open our doors to the building and we actually have people coming to us and saying, could you please explain the cabin to me? What an awesome opportunity this is. I pray that you go ahead of us, that you you put road flares everywhere, that you put signs, that you make that cabin warm and inviting, that you touch the hearts of those children and those families, 
but I pray also that you help us to shovel the, the walkways, that you help us to put on parkas and go out into the snow. I pray, Lord, help us every day, not just BBS week, but every day, to be sharing your good news to a lost, frightened, and broken world, especially one that thinks that's just the way it is. Help us to show them, nope, that's not the way it was ever supposed to be. We give this in our lives to you in Jesus' name. Amen.